Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. We finished up in Ruth last week. We're going to do just a kind of just a special message on a timely subject, on phrases and words you might have heard. Woke Christianity or how to be a woke Christian. How many of you have heard that phrase, are you woke? Uh, that's a big thing that's going on now today. How many of you remember the movie Matrix? You know, stunning at its time. You know, it was, it was one of the most uh, popular films of all times. It's known for its innovative and, and exciting film, st- film style, as well as its uh, storyline. One of the most popular scenes is when Morpheus offers Neil a choice between two pills, right? The, uh, the one, one site says there's the red pill, and if he takes that, he chooses then to wake up and see life as it really is, or he can take the blue pill and just continue to go back into a type of dream state where he can just enjoy the best life that there is. And of course, we know that the movie, he takes the red pill. In summary, the red pill and the blue pill serves as a popular metaphor in the Matrix for choosing between facing the truth or living in ignorance. And I think one of the things, the troubling things in today is that we we have many, many Christians that are not woke. And now stay with me before we go, because I know when you say, are you woke, that has so much other baggage in there. But what's interesting is that's not just our generation, but even Paul had to tell his readers, original readers, to wake up. They need to be woke. Today, our cultural and political leaders are faced, are facing us with a red pill, blue pill choice as well. Today, taking the red pill means waking up and realizing all that is wrong with the world or what they believe is wrong with the world. Whether it's racism, fascism, sexism, genderism, uh, misogynism, or any other type of ism there is, politicians, influencers, artists, and industry leaders are calling for the populace to wake up to the realities of the inequities of the world. Not even the church is immune to this overwhelming tide of wokeness. The problem with this troubling phenomenon is captured, though, by Chris Queen, who states that wokeism is a religion without grace. Let me give that again. Wokeism is a religion without grace. One pastor, Mike Mazzalongo, remarks here, you can see it here on the monitor, that wokeness itself is a religion. As they say, it replaces God with political and cultural concepts. And the practice of religion, which is usually done through worship, study, works of love, and fellowship, these things are replaced with political and cultural crusades. Much like a convert to Christianity, for example, wokeness demands complete commitment. And in this stage, if you're not committed to the wokeness, to the DEIs, to all the other uh, alphabet soup that's out there that's running the world today, you can be canceled. You can be, you can lose your job. All these things that can happen in the, in, in the name of wokeness. However, even though there's a commit, commit, uh, a complete commitment, excuse me, to that type of wokeness in the world, 
we're not seeing that type of complete commitment from Christians and from churches today. Claire Ansbury, writing for the Wall Street Journal, notes that church attendance for Gen Xers have dropped off more dramatically than any other group. Americans in their 40s and 50s often identify with religion, but they are also in the thick of raising kids, caring for aging parents, juggling demanding jobs that spill into the weekend. And during the pandemic, many got out of the habit of going regularly to religious services and didn't resume. Some had been drifted away out before or became disillusioned by church scandals or positions on social issues in recent years. So the commitment of many who profess Christ and those of churches have gone down. This just past year, what do we see? Uh, churches that would cancel on Christmas and New Year's Eve because they wouldn't have enough volunteers to put on their productions. Churches nowadays find themselves outside truly what God has called them to do. She goes on to report that the percentage of people ages 39 to 57 who identify, who attend a worship service during the week or either in person or online, fell to 28% this last year. Many professing Christians and churches are becoming more tolerant of behavior once condemned by Scripture. They seem to be more interested in curing the favor of those that reject Christ than warning them of the dangers of sin. Now more than ever, it's time for the Christians and for the church to be woke to the realities of the kingdom of God. So with that, if you're in Romans chapter 13, the first part is going to be here on the monitor for you, but then the rest, I'll ask you to follow along with scripture. I just want to read 13 verses 8 through 10. Paul writing to the church of Rome during the time of Nero, during a very dark time, he writes this, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Father, give us wisdom as we tackle this. And we live in a world that, that uh, increasingly calls for us to be woke to accept their version of the world. Father, in the same time, by rejecting the very word of God. So as we open the word, I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that you give it discernment. Let us know the difference between your truth and just Rob's mere opinion. And Lord, let us be able to, to separate that. Lord, that we may be edified and built up by your word this morning. May your spirit have free reign and may we respond to it in a positive way. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans 13 can be summed up with three themes. The first one is the good citizen. If you were to read Romans 13, 1 through 7, it said, honor the emperor, the emperor uh, obey the government. The second part that we just read is about being a good neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, seek their good, their benefit, as much as you seek your own. And then the last part is being a good Christian soldier. This would indicate that Christians are not to sequester into church huddles or build separate communities or bury, bury, burrow deep down into the sand of indifference 
away from the world, which we have done many times. It is true that Jesus in his prayer for his disciples informs us that though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We are called to live in this world to be different, not to adopt the practices of the world, not to owe anyone other than love. We're not to desire the things of the world. But we are still residents of this world system, and we are called to be engaged. Knowing this, Paul calls us to adopt the same mindset as the Israelites who were dispersed from their land and transported to, to Babylon. We know the story from the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 29, 4-7, it might be up here on the monitor, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find what? Your welfare. And if you're joining me, by the way, we're reading 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 uh, this month. We read through uh, a portion of Scripture, typically as a church. You'll see that we ourselves are elect exiles, sojourners in this world, but not of the world. And in the same way, we need to recognize that while we are here, we are to seek the welfare of those around us. Hence, oh, no, anyone except to love. We are to do those things, the things that benefit society. And that means that we as Christians must be engaged politically, culturally, socially, in all facets of life, the thing I've said many times. Now, I do not recommend at this time, I do not recommend anyone send their child to a public school. Uh, this, This is Rob's mere opinion. So take that as it is. However... One of the things that was sad that I've seen, and we bemoan this thing, you know, they took prayers out of school in the 60s, so on and so forth, and bit by bit, and now we, we all know what's going on in school districts with libraries and the books that are bringing in. But one of the saddest things is not that we're not sending our Christian kids to the school, but what happened in the 70s is many Christian teachers moved themselves out of the school, removed themselves from the political school boards and so on and so forth. And what happens when we as Christians, when we, when we would negate our responsibility to be engaged and seek the welfare, what happens? It gets backfilled by those that do not love Christ. Those that do not consider the words of God to be the words of God. And so that's one of the things that I look is there's been so many areas in which we as Christians, we just pull back and say, well, let them have it. But God hasn't called us to do that. Even today, we're not ancient Rome and we're not ancient Israel, but even today, we're to seek the welfare of the city because the more that you and I seek the welfare of the city, it will be good for us. The Bible tells us that we too are exiles. We're to seek the welfare of our communities, our state, and our nation. And we do that by loving God with all of our hearts, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and then staying focused on the commission 
given to us by Christ. You may recall that our commission is simply stated in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And from this passage, we understand that we're commanded to make disciples as we go about our life. We're to be baptizing those disciples, bringing them into the church, and then teaching them the Word of God to understand that the Bible is good for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Unfortunately, the Apostle Paul recognizes that the human condition is to procrastinate, to neglect and forget our commission, to be distracted, divided, Paul is warning the church of Rome not to harbor distracted hearts and divided attention, but to be on task. So as we consider Paul's warnings and command, we must take his advice seriously. So for the rest of this message, we're going to look at Romans 13, 11 through 14. And in here, he's going to give us three action steps that we're to take as soldiers and slaves of Jesus Christ. Look with us as we continue in Romans 13. First, we are to awake from our slumber. Hence the word woke Christianity. We are to awake from our slumber. Look at verse 11. He writes, besides this, after oh no one anything but love, he says, beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul writes that besides the commands above to love, we are to be on mission and not caught sleeping at the wheel, so to speak. One of the problems for many Christians and churches is that we forget that we have a mission or quest so to speak. And just take a, take a moment here just to real quickly as I was just reading an article uh, this week on video games. Anyone here enjoy video games by the way? Any adults still? Video games are just something that's just one of them. I was looking at the one called Fortnite. Little Lando loves Fortnite. And one of the things that they've learned to do is they have learned in games like that, these role-playing games, is they give you a quest. They give you instructions. They give you tools. And then they send you on this quest, and the quest is never done. You just continue to go. That's how they addict you into that behavior. And so you and I need to recognize that you and I have also been given a quest. Our king has said, here is what you are to do. Here's the tools. And he gives us then all the resources we need to do to continue on that quest. However, unlike video games, Fortnite, so on and so forth, we get very bored very quickly and distracted with divided hearts on the quest that is of most importance. We are so busy living our lives, going about our days, pursuing our agenda, that we neglect the primary reason that you and I are actually called to follow Christ. Paul calls for readiness, preparedness, and awareness of our commission and timing. When he says, know the time, he's saying, recognize, realize, understand that Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead and to take his rightful place. And we've shared this before. How many of you have family and friends, people you love and care for, 
that do not yet know Christ. We have no problem talking about the most favorite movies or concerts or so on and so forth. But when it comes to sharing with them Christ, we think that we have all the time in the world. You and I need to recognize that Christ is coming. He says, awake from sleep. He's talking about spiritual apathy and lethargic and unresponsiveness. He's telling us to rise, to stand up, to get about the job that God has called you to do. And he says the salvation is nearer to us. He's talking not only about the past that you and I have been justified, been declared right with God, but then we are today being sanctified, becoming more like Christ, freer from sin, but also that the final salvation is still to come. Our glorification. And he glorifies us and gives us a body like his. Paul is calling his readers to an urgency. As Jesus warned in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Unfortunately, I think there's too many professing Christians and churches that truly do not believe that Jesus is coming again or that Jesus will one day judge the living and the dead. And in doing so, you and I become fools. A fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. Now, we're not talking intellectually there. When the Bible says a fool says in heart there is no God, what it's saying is a fool is someone who lives their life, goes about their life, never thinking, never uh, uh, believing that one day they will stand before a holy God and give account. That's a fool. Just as you and I would say it's foolish for someone not to prepare for the future, for retirement, for medical, for insurance, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, I think many times I'm not uh, criticizing. Well, I'm not calling you. Yes, I am. (laughs) We become fools. Are you ready for Christ to return at any moment? Are you awake and active in advancing the kingdom of God? Or are you spending most of your time on your agenda? Look at your day timer, your calendar, your checkbook. What is it that you spend your money, your time, your energy on? Are you focused? Are you woke? Are you realizing that the time is short? And when Christ comes, there is no return here. There is no do-overs. So not only are we awake from our slumber, but secondly, we are, be, we are to be alert as soldiers in times of war. Look at verse 12. We're to be alert as soldiers. Paul writes, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He refers to the present time or this age as night and the time or the age of the kingdom of God as day. In other words, this this world, this decrepit world that we're living in, it is day and it's quickly becoming night. Each and every day, the return of Christ is coming sooner. Paul is warning that time is advancing and closer to the ending with every 
passing moment. Too often we get so caught up with the affairs of our daily lives and we forget that our time is short here on earth. Death or Christ's return is around the corner for each and every one of us and we need to be alert and we need to be ready. Take your Bibles, if you would, real quickly and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Like a good soldier of Christ who is to stand guard on night duty, we need to realize that the day is coming. We must be prepared. The time when Christ will come to judge the living dead is sooner than it was this morning. Death, or, or I'm sorry, in the, in the meantime, Christ has given us, as we're going to see here in, in, in uh, Ephesians 6, God has given us the armor of God as protection. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10, we read this, you understand, this is a familiar passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is what it means to be a good soldier. It means to, to be on guard duty, looking for what he's trying to do in this world. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are to be alert. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. You see, the Father has not left us defenseless in this day-to-day battle. And you can see as each piece there, you see the belt of truth. That's the confidence in God's word. It, it, it holds us up as a belt would hold up your pants or something of that nature. You see the breastplate of righteousness. That's confidence in the active works of Christ. It's his obedience. We are not righteous because of something that we have done, but something outside of ourselves. It's the shoes of peace. That's the confidence in time of trouble. It's ready to share the gospel. Also, the shield of faith, that's confidence in the person of God, trusting in his character, his promises. It's the helmet of salvation. It's the confidence in the gospel that Christ died for our sins and we cannot be lost. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But then there's the sword of the Spirit. That's a confidence in the word of God to protect and to lead us. And each piece has an important part in helping us fulfill the great commission, our quest. We must be diligent in putting on each piece each day, prepared to defend the faith, protect our hearts, and share the gospel with others. And so that's the question as we consider that. Are you alert Do you understand your role as a soldier of Christ? That you and I are actually engaged in a war against Satan and his demonic schemes to tear apart your family, your culture, and our communities. 
Satan desires to tear all things apart, to draw us away from God, to destroy our character. And we need to be alert, recognizing that he's, he's at this work, and we need to be prepared with what God has given us. Thirdly, we're called to be appropriately attired. Appropriately attired. In verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And I think this is really a big struggle for many of us. When Paul urges us to walk properly, he's telling us to live, to act, or conduct our life as that which is fitting for and proper as a soldier of Jesus Christ. To help us understand, you can, you can consider the analogy of wearing appropriate tire according to the seasons of the year. We dress one way if it's cold. We dress another if it's hot. We may dress a different way if it's wet. We are sure to dress properly for different types of events, right? Whether it's a church or a wedding or funerals or sports or picnics, we make sure that we are appropriately attired. Take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 5. In this case, Paul warns us to walk as if the day of the Lord is here and we're to put off those things that are not appropriate for the Christian to wear but to put on the life and example of Jesus Christ. We find this command throughout Paul's various letters to the churches. In Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 19, we read Paul's exhortation. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, he goes on, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things we are to put off. We are not to wear these. This should not be the practice of a Christian. But then he goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, he writes, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We cannot fulfill our commission, continue in our quests, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness if we are not appropriately attired. There are things that we need to examine in our life and take off. And there are other things that we need to look and say, these are the things that we need to put on. To do this, he says, we must make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires meaning that you and I are to avoid the desire to satisfy ourselves outside the promises of God. And let me say this once again. I've said this before. Is that all? That's all that sin is. Sin is missing the mark, right? We've talked about that. It's our inability to conform to God's moral law in our actions and our attitudes and in our nature. It is that in which we are not fulfilling God's 
promises. And you and I need to recognize that. All it does to sin is when we are not satisfied in the promises of God. When we don't believe that his way is wise and just and good. And instead we desire the promises of Satan. Who may taste good for a moment, but have no lasting effect. And his promises only lead to death. Provision, when it says make no provision, that means we're to avoid any thoughts, any planning, or even daydreaming about sinful desires. Looking back and say, oh, I wish I could do this, or, or I wish we could do that. I wish it was okay for a Christian to be this way. Instead, our preoccupation is to be only of Christ and the works that God has ordained for us. Christian, are the promises of God satisfying to you? Is it those things that you desire? Or do you desire the things of the world? So many professing Christians, so many churches are just falling by the wayside because they no longer desire the things of God. They have forgotten their mission. They have lost their way in their quest. D.R.L. Harrison, from Grace to You, he quoted from one 17th century theologian when he says that we may be safe from sin, it is necessary above all things that we diligently guard the external senses our hearing, our sight, and also the heart, that we avert our eyes and mind from the enticements and that we plug our ears to temptation that we prohibit sin at its first entrance. We've got to quit playing around with sin. We all have these pet sins that we don't want to give up. We think that we are in control. It's in our back pocket and I only pull it out when I need it. We know what sin does. Sin destroys. Christian, you need to understand that sin destroys. In summary, Paul is warning us that as Christians, we need to be awake, we need to be alert, and we need to be attired with an urgency that befits the call of a Christian soldier. Sadly, it seems that Christians are falling or failing in this regard. Like Lot we have turned our tents towards Sodom. We've been lured by its pleasures, and now we've been enticed to move into the town square. You might recall the story of Lot in Genesis, the nephew of Abraham. As they were, uh, Abraham, Lot grew up in the, in, the, in the family of Abraham when his dad, father passed away. There got to be a time where they had too many servants and too many cattle, and they said, listen, we're, our, our servants are fighting. There's not enough room, so you choose one way, and I'll choose the other. You recall the story. Lot looked, and he saw Sodom. He saw, wow, that looks like a great area. He says, I'll go that way. So Sodom, or excuse me, Lot went, and then he pitched his tent, and he pitched it so when he walked out, he could see Sodom. But then the next time we catch up with Lot, He's moved into the town square. And then the next time we caught up with Lot, we see the angels going saying the city is going to be destroyed. 
The men of the city of Sodom then seek to grab the angels to have their way with them, uh, as, as you can understand the euphemism. But Lot said, no, take my daughters instead. Could you imagine? Can't even imagine that thought. Lot then leaves with the angels, but then his wife looks back because she desires the things of Sodom. Turns into a pillar of salt. Sodom is destroyed. And Lot goes on to a ignoble end with his daughters. He lost his focus. He desired the things, and too many of us are in danger of doing the same thing. Where's your focus this morning, today in your life? You could be 15, you could be 30, you could be 45, you can be 75. You all have one mission. and You need to be about that work. It should be on pleasing and fulfilling that which Christ has given us, not on ourselves, our family, or even the demands of this world. You see, this problem, though, is not unique to our time. We think we always think that our generation, things are worse or things are better or whatever. But this is not unique to our time, this not being alert, this not being awake, this not being appropriately attired. Every generation is confronted with the command to be woke. Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century remarked, you'll see it on here. He says, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And just hold that up there for a moment. I want you to consider that. He was writing that about the 1860 in Britain. You could write that today in 2023 right here in Orange County. Same problem. See, Satan knows what works. It's not that the church is influenced for the welfare of the community or welfare of the city. It's unfortunately the churches and the Christians have given up territory, have given up in their mission, and we're no longer effective. And we wonder, why are we not? Too often we have accepted, affirmed, approved, and adopted this spirit of this age in our thinking, in our desires, and our choices. It is shown by the way we choose to spend our time, our energy, and our money. This era has led us to suffer from the consequences of sinful decisions that affect our marriages, our children, and our communities. Look with me in Romans chapter 12 real quickly. Romans chapter 12. Just one chapter back from Romans 13, if you were still there. Look at verses 1 and 2. Many of you probably have this memorized. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is what God has called us to do. J. Dwight Pentecost, a pastor of the next earlier century, 
He says, rather than trying to figure out how to make the church more like the world so that the world will go to church, we should be figuring, we should be trying to figure out how, how to make the church more like Christ so the church will go to the world. That's what you and I need to do. To do this, we need men and women like the men of the tribe of Iskar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel should do during the times of King David. We need men and women who recognize the urgency to pursue the kingdom of God. As Paul warns, the appointed time has grown very short. You cannot continue to allow the adversary of God to distract you from your mission, young person. You're to be involved today, not, not waiting for down the future. That time will never come. You may say here, well, I'm retired or I'm older. I've been doing this time for someone else. No, you are to go until the day that Christ takes you. You're to be active, alert. Pastor Brian Suave writes that Christians need to cultivate, cultivate a life of energetic, godly ambition. We need to recognize that lazy apathy is not humility. Modern culture is numb, bored, lazy, and astonishingly uncurious about the world. Christians, on the other hand, should be enterprising, curious, and hardworking, filled with the ambition to bear good fruit in God's world. I'd like to end this message by pleading with you this morning to examine your life, to evaluate your priorities, and to execute the mission and gifts that God has given you. For this is our calling. This is why we've been saved, that we may do the works that God has prepared beforehand for us. For this we are elected, we are called, we are justified, adopted, sanctified, and one day will be glorified. But our closing verse here in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let us be men and women who are active, attired, alert, awoke. For God be the glory. Every head bowed and every head closed. I'm going to ask Randy to make his way up for pastor's prayer. I just want you to take a moment to pause and consider the exhortation to be woke, to recognize that God has given us a mission and we're to be on mission. We are to be focused. I'd ask you to take a moment and just pray. And ask the Holy Spirit, how should I respond? In what way am I not fulfilling the mission? In what way am I uh, distracted? In what way am I divided? In what way have I denied and neglected the things that God has called me to? And would you respond to what the Holy Spirit encourages you to do? Randy, would you come and close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org.
Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.